Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I have a fantastic guest this week coming all the way from England. Now, I got to tell you, the uh, the quote uh, from the Daily Echo is fantastic. I love this. An energetic and vibrant source of new rock and roll. And I've checked out some of their songs, and I have to say, that is an excellent description of these guys. You know, it's always great to find new music that excites you. I hear a lot of stuff, and I find a lot of it just sounds like stuff that's been recycled, but these guys really do sound fresh and unique, and I love their sound. Cannot wait till their new album comes out later this summer. From our propaganda, Jack Denton. Jack, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Nice to be here, Scott. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. I appreciate you taking some time to talk to me. Uh, our, we have a, a mutual friend, great friend of the show, Steve Welton. Uh, what I can't even speak this morning. <laughs> it's early for me. Uh, connected us, and I'm really glad because I've listened to some of your tracks. I really like the sound that you guys have. It's 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 fits in with the mainstream, but it's at the same time it's kind of unique. Do you guys did you specifically work on creating a unique sound, or is this just the natural development of you guys playing together? You know, it's actually a really interesting uh, question. To be honest with you, I, I think I think anyone who goes into playing any kind of music, it doesn't matter whether it's rock and roll, it doesn't matter whether it's rap or, or you know, uh, country, anything like that. I think what you have is that you have those those influences in you. And when you get four or five people in a room together and they've all got different influences all from different points in their lives, you know, that have meant something to them, it kind of bleeds through in the music as it goes. I mean, when we, um, I mean, me, me and the guys, despite being our propaganda, we've actually been playing for quite some time together like as as people just in and out of bands and things like that and the truth is what you find is that everyone kind of brings their influences into it and they develop over time so years ago when we first met each other we were all like i i was probably into a lot more of like the classic rock side of stuff like you know zeppelin aerosmith and stuff like that and then um my bass player was really into Nawabam, which is the new wave of British heavy metal from the 80s, um, you know, which is a totally different, like, kind of background to me. Sure. Uh, other than that, like, Harvey, our, our guitar player, you know, he, he was really into, um, like, Van Halen and stuff like that. So you had this this big difference in kind of, it was a lot of it was rock, obviously. Like, that's that's kind of our, our background. But, um, hang on, let's let my dog out of it. <laughs> okay. Right, off you go, mate. My goodness. But yeah, um, so what you end up having is you just end up having this real difference of of influences. And when you get into a room together, I, I find that they just kind of bleed through naturally. I don't think there was anything necessarily preconceived about the sound. I think we knew what we wanted to do. And then when we kind of got into a studio for the first time to lay down a proper record, we uh, we routined it so heavily and made sure that it was right that you kind of start getting a feel for how it should sound. And then when you're working with the right producer as well, who essentially becomes another member of the band, you know, that influence comes in and it, it starts to curate and create this sound that just becomes a fully fleshed out kind of thing. That's an excellent point. And you're right. You know, you think about, you know, five members of a band and everybody's got their own influences. The collection of that is going to create something unique. And as time goes on and we have more different styles of music and different styles of influences, I think it can get more and more interesting to see how those combinations will work and what they bring out. 
But you guys really, you could tell those those roots are in there, but the overall sound is really something that's kind of fresh. And I think it's going to cut through a lot of the you know red tape and, and stuff that's out there because that's the real trick these days, isn't it? It's not just about being good or writing good songs. It's cutting through everything else. I, I do agree. Yeah, to a point, definitely. I mean, my, my manager will always tell me that it is 100% about the songs. That's kind of his, uh, that's his tagline when he walks in, when he walks into the space, he's like, so where are the songs, boys? You know what I mean? That's that's, that's the uh, that's the, the very much his his method methodology with it all. But and that's great, you know. And, and yeah, as we were talking about, Steve, he, he's been in the business a long time, so you know, I you know, I I, uh, I look up to his advice, as it were. I respect it, and I and I take it on board, and I think that it, it's been pertinent in our in our growth as a band. I really do. Um, but. Yeah, I think like it's interesting because like my my main influences these days they're they're quite varied now. So it's like I I love classic rock. It is really my thing. But these days I find myself listening to uh, I, I I love REM for instance, one of my favorite bands. Uh, I love Fleetwood Mac, you know, which is probably more of the classic rock thing. But there's a lot of country and 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 blues in in their music as well, you know, um and. But I also like modern acts. Like I even like Twenty One Pilots. I think they they stumbled onto doing something really interesting with their music, uh, and as you say, it cuts through the tape as a unique thing, you know. Yeah. And I do think that is important. Yes, because because the thing is with rock and roll, you can't reinvent the wheel, but you can do you can you can add spokes to it. You can do something with it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And and you're right. Steve's right, too. I mean, it, it you have to have good material to be able to cut through. But I mean, just even even having great material doesn't get you through all that. So no. there's like that. There's it's kind of like a one two punch. You have to have both aspects of it. Um, you know, it's it's interesting, too. You talked about Fleetwood Mac. I remember uh, they toured with Deep Purple in the in the 70s as an opening act. And I remember Roger Glover saying that, you know, if if they were just a blues band at the time. And if you would have said to me, hey, Fleetwood Mac is going to go on to be this great success that they are today, I would have said you were joking. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I totally get that as well, because, you know, they, they have such humble beginnings, but obviously they have a great, you know, a, a great beginning with, with Peter Green, who was just like a blues, like he, you know, he's, he's, he's a blue eyed soul kind of blues man. You know what I mean? It's brilliant. He, he's a re- he was a real innovator for, for British blues in that time. You know, and yes, I, I I actually get what Roger Glover was saying at the time. You know, because by 1974, like the Mac are kind of looking around at each other, going, "Oh, well, we're, we're a bunch of British guys in California. We don't really know what to do anymore." <laughs> you know, and and they're like, "Oh, so so where do we go from here?" And then obviously Buckingham and Nicks, that edition w- was really exactly what they needed. You know, they'd been dropped from their label. And and I, I believe they met at a recording session of some sort. And I knew that um, Mick Fleetwood was a fan of um, Buckingham's songwriting. So he invited him to join the band, which I, I, I think, you know, it's just one of those things that happens like it, it, it's such a coincidence that it would happen. But they become almost like a, a staple, you know, rock Americana group. And it's 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 brilliant. You know, it. I think they're one of those great bands that kind of crosses that boundary between British and American music so well. Yeah. And, you know, they're they're so unique as songwriters, but yet they have the radio playability, but they have the ability to write stuff that would never make it to the radio because it just doesn't fit that commercial sound. But it's brilliant music. Oh, it's fun, fabulous. I, I, I must admit, I, I, I am more of a, of a fan of the, the Buckingham Knicks era, Fleetwood Mac, for sure. It's, it's just... 
it's the songwriting. The songwriting is so it's awesome. It's awesome, and they and they really played on that kind of a you know mystical thing that was very popular with um, you know the new age uh, kind of thought process in the nineteen seventies. Yeah, uh, the other band, uh, the band that I do the podcast on, Uriah Heap, connected to that very well with albums like The Magician's Birthday and Demons and Wizards. You know, it was a great time to just explore everything. One hundred percent. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll get onto it, but I don't know if Steve um mentioned it to you before, but we we actually worked with Ken Hensley. Oh no, kidding! No, he didn't tell me that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We we throughout throughout twenty sixteen and seventeen, um, uh, when when Ken. Ken's original, uh, not well, I say original, but his his band, his solo act, Live Fire, were, were kind of out of commission. They were they were going on to do uh, something for themselves. Uh, I think they were in a band called Wonderworld, which is obviously named after one of the Heat records. But um, yeah, like it, they're a great band, and and they were really good at playing the Heat stuff, truly. But um, yeah, where, where Steve um, was once Ken's manager, um, you know he. Basically, it was kind of a match that worked at the time. And we we got to go out and get experience, you know, by playing to crowds on the road a little bit, you know. Uh, and we did some really fantastic things. But yeah, yeah, I had to, I, w- I was once uh, the front man for, for Ken for, wow. for singing. Yeah, so yeah, that's, I'm, that's I'm quite- pretty amazing. Yeah, I uh, I got to interview Ken uh, one week before he passed away, and uh, he was he was so gracious. He had just come home from uh, an editing project, a video he was working on, and uh, he was sitting in his car for the whole interview. And I said, "Well, Ken, you know, if you want, like, well, I'll call you back in another ten minutes. You can go in and get relaxed or whatever." He goes. I have so many dogs. If I just walk in the house, we'll never get this recording done. So he oh, sat in his car and watched yeah. the sunrise in Spain while we talked. It was amazing. You know? Yeah, we we once spent some time out in Spain with him because we were recording a. Uh, he was doing a a festival for the Amo Tiger Foundation. Mm. Um, we uh, we we basically did a, a recording with him. I, I only did, sung back and vocals on it, um, but but the boys played on it. Um, and yeah, we we went out to Russia with him and played it for that. But we we did stay at his house, and I can confirm that there are a lot of dogs, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> that's that's pretty cool, though. I I really thought that was pretty gracious that he was like, you know, you're just going to have to deal with it or edit it out or whatever. I mean, you know, but how can you pass up a sunrise in Spain? That's got to be beautiful. It, it really is, man. Yeah, it, it, you know, I, I mean, Ken was a really really cool dude. Like, I, and I I appreciate the um the advice he gave me. You know, throughout time, he used to give me anecdotes, you know, about the early days of heat and all that, and he. You know, he divulged some information, you know, to me about what everything that went on there. So, so I had a bit of an inside look to it, which was really nice. And and considering um to the, the actual the week before I met Steve, um, I'd actually bought Demons and Wizards on vinyl, and the fact he was Ken's manager and then became my manager was one of those weird coincidences in life where you just you it begs for fate, doesn't it? Do you know it what I mean? It does. It does. Well, I want to ask you now, I, uh, I've been a songwriter for a good chunk of my life, but I've never worked with a producer. As someone who's a songwriter, how do you like working with a producer? Is it weird to have someone come in and tell you, no, you're going to cut that out of the song and you don't have ownership of what you're writing completely? Well, um, okay, I, I'll, I'll posit this in a, in, in a, in a different way. So, <laughs> so I think that as a songwriter, working with a producer, I actually think is vital. I think I think it's in- incredibly important to have that outside opinion with your music. And don't get me wrong, your music's your baby. You know, it's it's like it comes from 
you know, your soul, for lack of a better word, you know, it really does. And, and you feel it inside you. And and then when someone wants to come and kind of like take it apart a little bit, it becomes like, oh, how dare you, man? How dare you come in and take this thing that I've created that's so beautiful and ruin it? And then like, all right, I'll admit, I used to have a bit of a, oh God, oh my God. You've really not got to do this, mate. <laughs> That's all right. um, but yeah so um when they when when you've got a song and you and you've brought it and then and then they kind of bring in their professional opinion you know about it sometimes it does hurt right this this is the truth like because it's art and you're attached to it it hurts and nine times out of ten first and foremost when you're young and naive you will go well i'm really really annoyed about this and then you go home and you and you and you ruminate over it and you and you mull it over and you and you you go through, you know, the, the stages of denial or grief, you know, about this this thing you've created. And then you realise that they're right. Uh, <laughs> and that basically they're right. And 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 what they've done is that they've managed to find something in your song that has structured it way better than you ever would have just by fumbling it around. And don't get me wrong, you you know, you routine things. So it's 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 not just ne- it's not always necessarily a this all happens in the same day. Sometimes this happens over the course of a couple of weeks, you know, with a song. And depending on your relationship with said producer, you're either going to spend that time, as I say, routining the songs with them, or you're going to get into the studio and then they're going to do it all in one go, which is a lot more difficult. I mean, recently we were in the studio again and uh, yeah, we, we, we took a song in and it was like, right, so what we're going to do, boys, is we're going to take all that back and we're going to rebuild it like a found, you know, like a pyramid. And and it's I actually think it's good and I think it's healthy. And I and I think any any band worth their salt in the early days will always say that a producer, you know, makes the music better or at least becomes a defining contributor to it, you know? It's like it's it's like um who was uh well Van Halen's producer was Ted Templeman, I think, in the early days. And and uh, like you know, it's it's like anyone, anyone working with with anyone, you know, you've got those those great matchups like uh like uh, Bob Rock and Metallica, or you know, for lack of a better example. But it, it one jumps to my mind immediately. Well, and I I think it's interesting too. You know, using Metallica is, is a great example because Bob Rock did bring a lot. When you when you thought Metallica is a great band, they've got some incredible albums under their belt. They know what they're doing. They don't need anybody to tell them how to do their job. And then you think, you know what, though, after a while, it does become a bit of a formula. You start hmm. going, this is the way that I produce a song. And you, you just kind of go through these motions. And it's just a different riff and a different solo and a different melody. But you kind of get into a habit. So I think you're right. It is good just for the perspective to have somebody that you could trust. Because there has to be a, a relationship building there to be able to trust somebody with your song. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, our producer who we work with um, is a guy called Steve Lyon. He, he's um, known for producing like Depeche Mode and The Cure. So he, he's, he, which seems you know a, an interesting jump from from what we do. But that I think is part of the reason why it works so well is because he comes from a completely different school as it were, you know, we're, we we all started as classic rock kids and, and Steve comes at it from this kind of like new wave thing, you know, which is, which is pretty cool. And, and it, and it really adds this, 
this different element. But of course, he's he also loves his stuff like Pearl Jam and, and things like that, which, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the 90s style kind of stuff. I really am. I think it was a nice reinvention of really 70s rock. I, I really go back and forth with the 90s. There were some songs I liked, but I found so much of it just didn't. It lacked a passion for me. You know, it was like, I felt like the singers were coming in and going, okay, here's the words I'm being paid to sing. So I'm just going to sing them and I'm going to do it in the most monotone, dry way possible. And there were some songs I couldn't get into, but then you get a song like Jeremy, where that just reaches right through your chest and squeezes your heart. And I'm like, okay, there is some good stuff here. I mean, I would also say that that's actually a good point about like, what to be a vocalist as well, in the, in the sense of like what, what I do, it, I used to be very much more in the guise of wanting to be what I determine as a as a belter. So the the Robert Plants, the Chris Cornells of this world, you know, who who have incredible range, incredible voices, and and this is I mean, Chris Cornell was kind of both in in my opinion about what I'm going to say next. So like, it's more nowadays for me about climbing into the song and communicating it with the listener. I. I'm less interested in showing off, as it were. And, and I think that's a sign of one maturity. Um, and, I, and I also think it's a sign of just wanting to, to do something a little bit different than my forebears, you know? Because I, I love Zeppelin, right? And I love Rob Plan, and I love his voice, and I love everything he did, truly. <laughs> but, but if I just repeated that, it, it, would, it would have absolutely no impact. You know? Yeah. Well, and, and you're going to feel your songs your own way. Exactly. You, you might be influenced by some of his techniques or choices that he might have made because you know his style very well, but you're mm. still going to feel your music in your own way. And the song, not even just the song that you're singing, but the song on that particular night in that particular moment is going to come out the way it comes out in that moment, which is what's beautiful oh. about music is that it's very much alive. Yeah, it is. And it's what, what we are essentially doing is we are transmitting a an oral tradition that's what we're doing we're, we're, we're taking the tradition of what has come before us and we are essentially stacking another block on top of it and as i said it doesn't need to be reinventing the wheel it it just needs to be different you know mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think you've definitely captured that. And for you guys that are listening to the to the show, if you look in the show notes, I've got their website, which I want to talk to you about your website because I think it's pretty spectacular. Um, there are some links in the show notes to some of the songs that the guys have for the upcoming album that we're hoping will come out uh, towards the end of the summer. And I'm really looking forward to it because these songs are fantastic. I'm really picky about the kind of music I spend my time listening to these days. But you guys are, are, you know, you're added to my list because I really enjoyed every one of these songs. I really, really appreciate that. Thank you so very much. So your your website, uh, just the homepage, it's really vibrant. It really sticks out. It's got this light coming through the window that's just very eye catching. But it's got a live action scene going on where there's a man and a boy. What's going on here? So um, that's actually a, a section of our video for My Ghosts, which was one of the singles we've, we've released. Uh, so you can actually see the, the music video on YouTube. Um, it's actually been our most successful music video so far, which is amazing. It's had like, I, I had over, I think, 17,000 views, which is which was mind blowing for us coming from a point where we would be like releasing a song and it would stream and it would only get a couple of hundred streams and then 
you know, but to go from that to actually having a music video that's been viewed that many times was was pretty mind blowing for us, you know. And and look, it's not a hundred thousand, but it's something really important to us as as you know, essentially a an unsigned, unknown, independent act. Sure. You well, know, you're not going to get to a hundred thousand without hitting seventeen thousand first. So you're well on your way. Exactly. So you know, I, I we we always say you know aim aim for the stars, and if you hit the moon, you've made it. That's kind of the the vibe, you know. But um. But regardless of that, it's it's like so. What's happening in that scene is that that's actually me, and um, my cousin Arthur, ah. <laughs> who, who was playing a, a younger version of myself in in that song. So, my my ghost was a song about um, what I went through as a adolescent man. So I, I went through a lot of kind of uh, bullying and and kind of I suppose. Uh, mental I, I don't know what the word would be yeah I suppose just mental bullying you know I, I I went through a lot of stuff in school and and basically it was my way of reconciling the fact that sometimes when significant things happen to you when you're younger you still carry some of the burden of that and that's really what the song is about and it's got some allusions to English literature and, and you know it's a bit fancy in that way but but it in its in its essence, in its core, it is very much just about how those things can still haunt you. Yeah, and it's really, uh, it's so sad. And I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Sometimes those could be great experiences while they're horrible at the time. And you look back on them and you think, you know what, though, I'm going to draw from this when I'm going up against something that is difficult or whatever. And you realize how strong you are that you made it through. But it's it's also, you know, we shouldn't have to go through those kind of things to find out we have character and we have that strength, you know. No, we shouldn't. <laughs> right. But you but could draw it, from them and turn them into something positive. Absolutely. And that's and that's what I've always done with any any kind of negative I- impact in my life. Music has always been the outlet for me in order to project that outwards in a in a positive light. Yeah, um, I, I'm actually, I, I just realized that the website's flashing against my glasses and has been the whole episode, so I'm just going gonna, gonna to minimize it there. It's uh, good, man. It's yeah, good. Uh, but it's, and it's a very powerful song. I mean, you can, you can tell from both uh, lyrically and musically, it is a very powerful song. Of the four that, that I listened to and that, that I've got the video links for, I would say that's probably the one that, and I went through a lot of bullying in school as well. So maybe that's probably why I identify with it to to an extent. But I definitely feel they're all four very strong tracks. But that one really kind of hit me a little bit stronger than the others. Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm glad because that's, you know, while I'm not glad that you went through the same kind of thing I did. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad that, you know, it it resonated with you because that, that was kind of that's kind of my aim. You know, I, I, I write songs because... I have to communicate about these things, but if I can also reach out to people who have been through the same things and have experienced the same things as me, if it gives them a helping hand, then I'm, you know, that's that's kind of why I'm doing this. Well, and it's and it's therapeutic for you as well because you're getting yeah. that out and you're telling your story and then you're kind of letting it go, and and that's healthy for you to do. But it's also then for people like me who hear it and go wow, okay, that isn't just me and I'm not alone and my feelings are justified because this is the natural reaction to that kind of, you know, uh, behavior. Uh, it's it, that it becomes good for the listener. Because it's cathartic music, you know, right. in that way. Exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, when you guys are putting a song together, do you tend to say, hey, I wrote some lyrics, let's see what we come up with musically to match it? Or do you guys start sometimes with the music and then you add lyrics? How do you, how do, you do it? 
So it kind of varies. Um, and I suppose um, recently, in more recent years, as well, um, obviously we had the pandemic, so <laughs> years, it really has been. And we lost so much. Oh, my God, so much time, that is. But, but you know, it's it, it's actually been good for us in the long run, I think, because it's given us time to sit back and uh, double our efforts, as it were, you know. Um, but when, when it comes to writing, uh, for me, it's, it's more about getting a feel for something. So whether it's me picking up a guitar and writing something with a couple of chords, um, or I walk into a rehearsal and the boys are playing something that just resonates with me. Sometimes the lyrics come then, but more often than not what happens these days is that I've written like lyrics or at least I tend not to write <laughs> full songs immediately. So when I write a lyric, it tends to be a verse and a chorus. That, that's kind of it. And, or, or a verse bridge chorus, you know, or a verse and a bridge or, or whatever. Um, and it, it's never done. It's never done until the music's there because then I can really get a feel for how it should go forward, you know? So lyrically, it either comes before or after the fact. So it, it's, it really depends. But yeah, sometimes I'll come in with a lyrical melody and I'll be like, you know, guys, I, I quite like this vocal melody. I feel, feel like we could structure something around this. And, and to be honest, the writing process is beginning to change once again because we've we've just added a new member to the band in, in the uh, in the guise of our, our keyboard player, Mike, who um, is actually a, an American as well. And uh, he, he's from uh, Boston originally. Okay. You know, it, it's interesting, though. I like the way that you do that because you can get an idea for what you want the song to be about, but then not really lock it in. Let the music then create what you need to write for the lyrics like okay i need something powerful here because the music is swelling up and i need to i yeah. need to li- like that's a really great way of doing things because again it keeps it open and alive and it doesn't lock you into anything not that you couldn't change your lyrics but once you write something you tend to be like okay these are the, the lyrics yeah it tends to get a little bit stuck in its in its way like it's it's like <laughs> it does like you, you get this because essentially what you're doing is you're, you're writing a story you know you're, you're so it's it's like the story the, the story's not linear but it's got it's got one way to go do you know what i mean in terms of you the how you think about it because it, i i don't you know as so obviously you also um talk about heat quite a lot you know yourself and and he obviously is a band that writes a lot from kind of fantastical ideas you know and and, and fantasy and all that oh, mind you i remember speaking with ken and he, he did tell me that circle of hands was written about an actual seance he went to which was pretty cool but um but i tend to write pretty much all my lyrics from my own personal experience so i i don't really um tap into anything on the uh you know on on that side of things but that's that's just how i do things is because as, as we were talking about earlier music for me is a very cathartic process so it's you know if i'm writing about something that i've actually experienced then it's it's you know it's good <laughs> well i'm sure that you can get into like a seance group on facebook and maybe meet some oh, people yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 oh trust me uh here in england we've got quite the community of of certain things and, and pagans and whatnot and I, i've been involved in all of it me and my other half are quite uh esoteric i suppose I I, I, <laughs> you guys have i think far more ghost hunting groups but but you've got like such a, a longer history you know yeah. of, of things that there would be more uh, i guess available to explore just because there's there's a lengthier time there is there is a lot of um i would say 
in this country, there is a lot of things that are up for in certain interpretations. That's how I would describe it. I think that's a very yeah. good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember uh, when I interviewed Ken uh, shortly before he passed, what, what was amazing to me was he told me that he would not write a single note of music until he completed the lyrics. Now, when I write lyrics, there tends to be some kind of melody or rhythm or something that I start hearing when I'm writing. It yeah. fascinated me that somebody who was such a great creative musician wouldn't have that happen to him, that he could just write it as a poem without any melody attached. That's weird to me. I, I, I actually, I concur. I think that's quite odd. Like for, for me personally, I, I think I probably write quite similarly to yourself. When I, when I, um, when I write a lyric, I do often hear a melody. However, that is always subject to change depending on what happens with the music. So I'm, I'm quite adaptable in the sense of how I do it. But yes, uh, most of the time, that's actually a good point. I, I do have a melody in my head as I write a lyric. Um, and sometimes I forget what that melody was and I use the same lyric in a completely different way. But, you know, it, it does happen. Like um, recently, actually, me and um, Mike, our keyboard player, we we put together a, a, a piece uh, called Little Out West, which uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it will end up getting used eventually. Hopefully, I mean, I quite like it. But um, it's it's kind of like a, a bit of a piano ballad type of thing. But I kind of, I'd written these lyrics prior. I stood outside of McDonald's, like waiting for a lift somewhere. And um, and I'd, I'd had, I suppose, written a melody at the time, but by the time me and Mike got around to working on it weeks and weeks later, I had no idea. <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't even, I don't even know what the original melody was, but, but what we put together ourselves was so nice and evocative, you know, so it, it, it felt right. And that's, that's more for me is, is does it feel right? Um, does this feel like what I'm saying? You know, and usually that happens kind of instinctively. I don't really, I would say that I don't really think about that too much. I, uh, I, I'll I tell you a quick story. I was in uh, Michigan. I was living in Colorado at the time and I was in Michigan visiting family. And at this time I was, I was a songwriter, but I was really dependent on the technology, like my sequencer to record what I was playing because I, I didn't know how to write music by hand at the time. And uh, I, I came up with this melody on my grandmother's piano and I really liked it, but my grandfather had passed away. I didn't know where all his equipment and everything was. So I, I ended up having no way to remember this song and I really loved it. So it was a 26 hour drive from Detroit back to Colorado Springs. And every hour I would turn off the cassette player and I would hum that melody so that I would remember it. And as soon as I got home, didn't bring the luggage in or anything. I just turned on my sequencer, recorded it, went, thank God. <laughs> Oh, no. brilliant. No, do you know, though, that is the exact same way. I think it was, um, I think it was, oh, God, I think it was Bernie Taupin, you know, lyricist for Elton John. I'm pretty sure that's what he did with Rocket Man. Really? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain that's what he did. I, I can't, he had nothing to write it on as far as I'm aware. I can't remember exactly if that was the case, but I, I, I know that there's something, a story like that that I've heard. And, you know, and it, imagine be, i mean you know before before we had phones and things you know how on earth would we you know remember all this stuff it's just 
it's it's actually quite astonishing that people got anything done. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Well, you become so dependent on what you have available to you that you, yeah. you know, it, it's like, uh, you know, GPS nowadays. And I think about the days when I had to print out a map quest and I had a physical piece of paper to try and look at while I'm driving. And then before that, we had maps that you had to fold out. And, you know, it, it, it's really amazing what we adapted to. And you think, how did we ever do this before that? I know. I mean, to be fair, though, that is really the history of, of human humans, really, you know, in, in all the moving around. You think about Marco Polo going all the way from Italy to, to Mongolia, to the court of Kublai Khan. Do you know what I mean? It's like, how on earth did he manage that? How did he even know how to get there? Like, you know, he couldn't print on a map quest. Well, I suppose if you just keep heading, heading east, mate, you might get there eventually. <laughs> right. yeah. Just follow that one star, you'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is fascinating. But but at the same time, I and mean, when you guys when, when I listen to the sound that you guys are getting in the studio, it's fantastic. I mean, it's a beautifully balanced mix. Everything is coming through nice and clear. Uh, it, it's so well done that I think, thank God you're recording today and not 1968. I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, you know, we, I suppose we would have made, made do with what, what we had. But uh, I mean, there, there would have been something to be said for it, for sure. But mind you, our music, I don't think our music would have been written in 1968. Do you know what oh, I mean? No. I mean? Yeah, it, not at all. It's all very much this product of its of its time and everything that came before it. As I said earlier, it's it's that continuing of a tradition, you know, and it's and that is really, you know, the the, the story of it all. That's the story of rock and roll anyway. You know, it, it, it's just a, a continuing tradition all, all the way from back in, you know, well, in the United States when it originated with blues and, and you know, black music, really. Yeah. And if you go back and you listen to some recordings from the 60s, especially from Motown, for example, and you hear, you know, everything is just so mono and so there's there's not a lot of separation and some of it's just all pan center. It's just so hard yeah. to listen to in some yeah. ways. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm so used to hearing it that yeah. the, the engineer in me can let go and just enjoy it. And then there's that side that comes out and goes, please let me find the master so I can remix this for someone. <laughs> when you think about like the early Beatles stuff, that was all mono, do you know what I mean? Or even the Stones, right? Okay? And, and I, I think like though, um, oh, what was I going to say about it? When, when it when it comes to music, when it comes, especially when it comes to what, what we will put under the umbrella term popular music, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's rock, whether it's rap, whether it's, country or anything i i think that one of the main things in music is it's really about kind of what you leave out that is the most significant thing because it's it's so easy to go into a studio and put down every single idea you have for a song but every single idea you have for a song is just going to completely fill up all the space right and so another you, layer because you found another patch on your keyboard that sounded really good or you got a new guitar yeah. pedal and you want to add this it's so easy to overdo a song you know, no, I really love that ocarina you put on there. Yeah, great. <laughs> it's my favorite. Yeah, uh, I hate that sound. <laughs> it, it's, well, it's it's not the sound I hate. It's the way it's often recorded because it's just so ear piercing. If it's not EQ'd properly, it's like a flute. A flute is a beautiful instrument, but if it's not EQ'd properly, it could just cut right through and ruin a song. Yeah, so horribly for me. Same with Bob Dylan playing a harmonica, mate. Like, <laughs> like I love Dylan, right? But some some of that some of that harmonica playing on like there's there's a song was it on Highway 61 what is it there's a song called I think it's Queen Jane approximately the harmonica at the end is so piercing I'm like oh my god <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly well let me ask you this before I let you go 
you know, in terms of songwriting, and, and of course, when you're working on something and with you, when you're working on something with the band, how do you decide, okay, this song is done? And I realize your producer is going to play a part in that too. But how do you say, okay, we're not adding anything more to this one. I think we've got what we need here. Um, hmm. I mean, that's actually a really, really good point. Um, let me think about that for a second. Uh, I think, all right. So I think, I think there's different stages to it. That's, that's how I would describe this. So, um, so if me and the guys are together, so, um, just to explain anyway, for anyone uh, listening is that, so the band is actually now made up of five people. There's, there's myself as the lead vocalist. Uh, my brother, Charlie is on the drums. Uh, our bass player is a guy called Joe, uh, Newman and, uh, Harvey Grimm's our guitar player. And then we've got uh, Mike Gillum on the keys now. And um, when we get in a room and we write together, it there's that part where we say, okay, this song is done. And uh, just recently we, we went, as I said, we went into the studio and we had we had a track that we we considered done in its in its final instrumental form <laughs> as the band decides. Yeah, everything's finished. It's it's cool. We, we know exactly how we want to do this. And we walk into the studio. And we play the song for our producer, and and Steve goes, right. So uh, yeah, there's too much going on, and uh, we're going to need to like scale this back. And he goes, and you see this part that you're doing on the drums here, Charlie, right? Uh, I really like this part, and I kind of want you to do that throughout the whole song, just with variations. And then Charlie's obviously completely distraught because <laughs> he's written all these, yeah, great drum parts. Um, but then he has to go in and he, and he tracks it differently. And then we've got to kind of reconsider how we how we layer the track up. So when we work with our producer, it's more of a case of, once again, it is that lesson of what you leave out. It's the lesson of space. It's the lesson of what's going to make this song sing the most. You know, how are we going to do that? So in the case of like uh, a song like Fast Food at Midnight, for instance, um, that, that was very much a case of we had it finished and then we stripped it down and we built it back up again and it and it works you know and it, and to be fair fast food is one of those songs that didn't i, I would say that in its skeleton it didn't change all that much mm-hmm. but sonically my god like when i when we took that song into the studio i thought it was one of the weakest tracks on the that we had when we came out of the studio i thought it was at least in the top three wow okay when i and that was the first one i listened to and i thought first off right off the bat i'm like i like the way these guys sound that was the first thing that struck me was the sound, uh, the mix, the sound quality that you guys are getting absolutely fantastic. And then as I listen to the song more, I'm like, OK, I like the way the writing is done here and I really like the performance. And I'm like, all right, now I want to hear more right off the bat. That song sold me on you guys without any effort whatsoever. Well, thank you very much. man. I, I really appreciate that. I mean, it's it's an odd one because it's 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 almost I suppose in a way it's almost kind of it pushes on the psychedelic rock kind of thing as well. I suppose is, is is actually really having a resurgence at the moment, and especially in indie music, which is odd. You know, it's it's an odd thing where you've kind of got this reemergence of it. You know, and I, I think Tame and Parlor kind of spearheaded that, and and then and then it's kind of fanned out from there. Where you have bands like um, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard and stuff, who are just like like really psych rock like guys, and it, it all came out of Australia. It's bizarre, but. But I think we kind of tapped into a bit of that. And, and, and you know, it's funny because some people have like credited that song as being kind of Doors-ish. 
And like, I, I love the doors, but I, I don't think we sound like the doors, but I love them, you know, and, and I suppose there must be some sort of bleed in there from that. I don't know. I but, I can't say I picked up on anything that, yeah. that would have made me say, you guys sound like the doors. Um, not at no. all. That's interesting. No, it is interesting, but you know, this is the thing I'm trying. It's like when, when, when we talk about the music and obviously, you, you know, you, you like it yourself. So, I mean, I, I don't know what kind of things you picked up in it yourself personally, but like we, um, we've had all sorts, man. Like we've played a live show before. I've come off stage and I've had three separate things. I've had one guy tell me it sounds like Stereophonics. I don't know if you know them. They're an English band. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty popular um, from the 90s. But those, I had another guy say we sound like Kings of Leon. And okay. I, I, I really don't hear it, but it's cool. I, I, I mean, I don't, I like Kings of Leon. Yeah, it works for me. And then, um, and then I had another guy tell me that it sounded like Prince sometimes. And I'm like, <laughs> where's Prince coming from? I'm like, fair. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, all compliments uh, by any means to be associated mm. with any of those acts is great, but I, I don't hear any of that in that song itself. No, exactly. I like, do you know what I mean? So it's like, um, it's interesting, you know, it's just, it's weird the kind of things that you get. Um, but in, in terms of doneness, as it were, in the studio, it, it tends to come to a point where we listen back to it and we go, okay, we've put enough stuff on it now. And maybe that's that should be it, you know. And you basically you get down the basic elements and then and then you you add one or two or three things, depending on what the track is, you know. And it's all it's always personalized to the song, obviously. You don't just layer a sound on it for the sake of it, you know. Um and in creating a I think in the idea in creating like a cohesive sound, I think what it is is that the the drums, the vocalist, the the guitars and the bass all sound the same in the sense of throughout every song, they've got the same tonality. Yeah. But then anything else that you decide to add on that gives it colour. And and personally for me, I think that's when the song's done. When the song has colour and the vocals finally on it, and you've and you've done everything with the vocal. That you can do that doesn't oversaturate it and if the singers me in this case <laughs> has captured the essence of the song i think that's when you can probably turn around and say okay this this sounds done and then it's not really done until you've heard the the mix that you like right yeah there's you know? that's the whole other aspect of it is the mix can bring out a lot that you maybe that's didn't even good. notice about the song when you were recording it 100% because sometimes sometimes I, I would say the mix is everything really um in terms of it because you can you can put as much on a track as you want if it hasn't got the right mix it can still sound completely like a million miles away from where you want it to be absolutely I think for me it's when I stop saying all right let me just try this and then I undo the last four things that I did and say okay I, I went too far now it's done <laughs> I removed yeah. the last ones you know um That's well, Jack, it's been such a joy talking to you. Thank you so much again for taking some time out. I think you guys are a great band. And I'm not just saying that because I had the opportunity to interview. I really enjoy your music. I really hope that that people catch on to it because I think you have a lot to offer. Well, thank you a lot, Scott. I really, I really do appreciate it, mate. And uh, I mean, hopefully we will make it out to the States at some point in the next... Well, I, I would, I, I'm, I'm not going to say in the next year. I don't know what's going to happen, but I would love it. You know, it's it's always been a dream for me to come play in the States. And, yeah. Well, we would love to have you. I know that things are starting to open up a little more on the international side. Uh, they mm -hmm. just removed the mask ban for airlines, which is a pretty big uh, step. 
So I think we'll probably have to wait a little while and see if the COVID numbers start going back up again because of that. If they if they're stable now, uh, I think we'll probably start being okay. We've got some bands that are coming over, but it's it's really from what I've heard, it's it's it, getting the shows insured is the issue. You know, even yeah. with signing the waivers and having the you know the verbiage on the tickets that's saying you know you're waiving your rights and all that, uh, it's still kind of a nightmare. So we're getting there yeah. though. So hopefully maybe 2023 things will be yep. pretty open and you guys will have done a bunch of shows, you know, more in your area and you'll have that, uh, you know, that history behind you with the new songs on stage. And then you'll come over here and go, all right, we're going to, we're going to do some shows in the States now. I mean, let's, let's hope so. Eh? I mean, no, it, it, it really is just, you know, we, we would just relish the chance is all I can say. Yeah. And, and then you've got a band like the dead daisies out of LA and they're just like, I don't care. We're going to England. We're going to do some shows over there. <laughs> you know? They're just yeah. like, it, uh, as soon as touring opened up at all, they were one of the first bands on it. And they're just like, all right, yeah. we'll do some dates. All right, we'll go to Europe. All right, we'll come back and do some dates. I mean, they were just like, if we could play, we're playing. And, and yeah. I love that, you know, I don't blame them. And, and they've got, they've got the resources to be able to do that. Do you know what I mean? To just, jump on over here and all that. I mean, look, if, if, if money was no object, we probably have, would have already done the States a hundred times. Oh, you know sure. I mean? Yeah, exactly. Well, we look forward to having you. We look forward to the new album coming out. Please feel free to come back on the show and talk uh, when the album comes out. We'll uh, we'll talk about th- that and uh, the new songs and how it all went. Yeah, I would absolutely love to do that. I think it'd be brilliant. Excellent. Well, so you guys that are listening to the show, check out the show notes. I've got the link to the website, to the videos. You guys are going to love, if you love rock and roll at all, you guys are going to love this band. Our Propaganda, check them out. Jack, thank you again. We'll see you again in the future. My absolute pleasure, Scott. Thank you. You bet. Bye-bye.